Well, the Texas legislature is over, or at least sort of kind of over. But however they finish up this special sessions and any to come, there's going to be plenty to talk about over the next few weeks about how the Texas legislature did. But before we do that, and before we talk about maybe other states and how they're doing, or Congress and how they're doing, I think I thought it'd be a good idea to go through uh, Douglas Wilson's 21 principles of civil government to give us a good overview and some biblical wisdom about how to judge the actions of those who are ruling over us in civil government. So that's what we're going to do on this week, episode 131 of the Liberty Cafe. Welcome to the Liberty Cafe, where oppression is on the menu. Hi, I'm Bill Peacock, and welcome to this week's Liberty Cafe. It's always a blessing to have you here with me, listening in and joining in on the battle to, to fight oppression and to seek liberty, Christian liberty, and, and not just our hearts and bodies, but in the world around us so that we might live truly and freely as God has called us to do. And it's also, of course, being blessed to be a part of the Texas Scorecard Network, having them as the sponsors of the Liberty Cafe, for they too are committed to this battle of fighting for liberty. So please go over to texasscorecard.com and find out what they're doing over there and see what more you can learn about and, and how you can participate in this battle for liberty. Well, this is our third episode of the Liberty Cafe, where we're focusing in on Douglas Wilson's 21 Principles for Civil Government. He put these out some years back. It was in his commentary, I think the first time anyway, was in his commentary on the Book of Romans as he was approaching Romans 1, uh, chapter 13, which is, of course, a very important passage in the Bible when it comes to dealing with civil government. But it hasn't been very well understood, at least in modern times. And so he put out these 21 principles of civil government that are found throughout the rest of the Bible to help us think about Romans 13 as, as we tackle that passage. So this week we're going to, we're on his uh, issues 12 or ideas 12 through 16. And then ne next week, or not next week, but our next episode, which should air in a couple of days, will be uh, on the, the last uh, five of his principles. All right, so let's get right to it with principle number 12, which is civil government is covenantal and has a double covenantal nature. It involves God, the magistrates, and the people. And here's the uh, proof passage he has for that, Second Chronicles 23, 16. And Jehoiada made a covenant between himself and all the people and the king that they should be the Lord's people. So we see there that the ruler of of Israel in the old days, made a covenant between himself and all the people that that they should be the Lord's people. Right? So there's this covenant between the king and his people, the king and the country and God, and then the people and God. Everybody's in this in this in this situation with God. And that's really important. It also helps us understand one of the problems with the United States is that out of our very Christian uh, founding, and it, it was very Christian in its founding, they still made some mistakes. And we can see that kind of in the progression of some of our founding documents. For instance, the Mayflower Compact begins in the name of God. Very clearly, they are ascribing authority and power 
to God. And that's where they begin. By the time we get to the Declaration of Independence, God is still in there, but it's a generic name for God. They call him, for instance, our creator. And they 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 turn to him and they, for instance, uh, they point to our rights that are inalienable rights coming from him, not from those around us. So that's really good. But it's not quite the the Holy Trinity God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit that you would have thought the pilgrims were talking about a uh, hundred plus years before. And then, of course, we get to the Constitution, which is just dripping with biblical inputs and Christianity and those types of things. But they they really take this uh, the next step. And how does the Constitution start? As opposed to the Mayflower Compact, it begins with we the people. So in the U.S. Constitution, the compact is between the people and the government. And God, in a, in a direct stated sense, is nowhere to be found in there. Again, a lot of the principles in the Constitution come straight from the Bible, but God himself is not mentioned there. And, and so that's a problem. It's also very interesting to look back at this document that I didn't know anything about, the Solemn League and Covenant, which was an agreement that the uh, English parliamentarians made in 1643, and it was a covenant. Th they made it, and the leaders of uh, Scotland made it. And I think the Irish were in there a little bit, maybe the folks in Wales, I can't remember exactly. But I, I know those Scotland and England were a big part of this. And basically, they covenanted with God. And they said, Lord God, the Trinitarian God, you are our Lord and our God, and we join as a nation in covenant with you and we will honor and obey you as the Lord, our King. Now, you, you may remember that was during the time when the Protestants and the Puritans, in large part, had taken over England after King Charles I had been overthrown and beheaded and before his son, Charles II, was invited back. So they recognized that a nation needs to covenant with God, and they did the right thing. Charles, of course, came back in and others after him, and they didn't follow this, and, and they tried to deny it. But once somebody, a country makes a covenant with God, they're stuck with it, so to speak. And I would suggest that England still has this covenant and still in effect, with, even if they're ignoring it right now. All right. So let's move on to number 13 here. No human authority, civil magistrates included, can be absolute. God alone has absolute authority. Man's authority is always limited and bounded. That is what Nebuchadnezzar confessed after his sanity returned. So let's read about that in Daniel 4, 34 and 35. At the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven and my reason returned to me. And I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are counted as nothing, and he does according to his will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? Clearly, and, and I've talked about this before, one of the big problems we have in the world today is that we want to be God, much like Adam and Eve did, but we also want our governments to be like God. Not, you know, not all of us have the same inclinations for that, but the people in government today are certainly taking us more and more in that direction. And I, I'd suggest that's even going on in, in Texas and in the Texas legislature. And we'll talk more about that when we evaluate the Texas legislature. But this is something that we really need to be careful of 
and uh, change. Uh, principle number 14, not everything that is legal is lawful. And Wilson points to Revelation chapter 13 for this, and I'll read 15 to 17. And it was allowed to give breath to the image of the beast, so that the image of the beast might be might even speak and might cause those who would not worship the image of the beast to be slain. And also it causes all, both small and great, both rich and poor, both free and slave, to be marked on the right hand or the forehead, so that no one can buy or sell unless he has the mark, that is, the name of the beast or the number of its name. So here we have this passage that talks about it's 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 only legal to buy and sell if you have the mark on your hand. So if you have that mark, it's legal to buy and sell. But what Wilson is saying here and what the Bible says here, it's not lawful to buy and sell with the mark of the the beast on you, even though it's legal in society. And of course, we see lots of things that are legal in society today, like mutilating children. Fortunately, in Texas, uh, that will be outlawed uh, pretty soon based on what the legislature has done this this time. But there's a lot of things that are legal in our society today that are not lawful according to God. And we need to look and see how the legislature and our federal government is dealing with that. Principle number 15, faithful believers will often be accused of lawlessness and treason. Ahab was a troubler of Israel so that is what he has accused Elijah of being. But the cause of the trouble is the problem. The solution is not the problem. And he, he has a couple of passages here he points to. First King 18, verse 17 and 18, which is about Ahab. When Ahab saw Elijah, Ahab said to him, <clears throat> Is it you, you troubler of Israel? And he answered, I have not. This is Elijah answering, I have not troubled Israel, but you have and your father's house, because you have abandoned the commandments of the Lord follow and followed the Baals, the, the gods of the time. And then a similar passage is in Second Chronicles 23, 12 to 13. And this is about Athaliah, who had illegally, she's the mother of a former king who had died, and then she had killed all the household, rest of the household of, the, uh, of her son's household, except for one and then taken rule. But then the one who escaped the murder of her came back and took the throne. Yet she accused him of, of being the one, she accused him of treason. She said treason, treason, when he was taking the throne back, even though she's the one who committed treason. And, and so we have to face that fact that as Christians and conservatives who are fighting what we think are wrong Things being done in Texas and the Texas legislature and our cities and counties and those kinds of things, a lot of times people are going to call us troublers. Now, we should consider that to see if we really are being troublers or if we're doing the right thing and by opposing the troublers who are in government. And then finally, number 16, his principle is the Bible teaches the principle of the consent of the governed. Rehoboam was elected to be king, and he was no anomaly. And here's the passage for that, 1 Kings 12, 1. Rehoboam went to Shechem, for all Israel had come to Shechem to make him king. And then this is pretty fascinating because we think of kings as you know, this kind of divine right, you know, father, son, son, father, son, father, throwing a daughter here and there, but they get to be kings because of who they are. But 
just the sons of the former king or the daughters of the former king. But truly, if you look at the, the biblical perspective on this, uh, these kings of Israel were affirmed or elected by the people. And it happens a lot of different times. Now, you know, even David was affirmed by the people. Right? He was anointed by God, and so was Saul before him. Both of them were anointed by God to be king, but it wasn't before until they went to the people and were affirmed by them that they actually became the kings. And so this is the, the case in, in both a civil government and in, in church government, at least in, in the ch church government that I am in, the Presbyterian form. You know, we have rulers and elders. The Baptists do something similar, too. We have rulers and elders in our church, but they can't rule over us until we vote them into office. And once they once they're in there, Baptists can vote them out. We can give an advisory vote to our session and ask them to be removed in that sense. So th this this leaders in civil government, it is perfectly appropriate to for a citizenry to to take away their affirmation of that through the voting process and, and maybe in some other ways as well. And we can talk more about that later. All right. So that's our latest edition of Douglas Wilson's 21 Principles of Civil Government. That leads us into the last stage of that. Like I said, that's going to be coming out probably in two days or maybe even tomorrow. We'll see what they do over there at Texas Scorecard. But thanks for listening in. I hope you're enjoying this. I hope you are getting some refreshment from watching politics all the time. If you've been watching the Texas legislature, watching what's going on up in Congress. And, and I'm hopefully this will give us a little refresher to, to look at God's word, see where he would have us be with civil government, and then start judging what they've done and what they're doing and see what we can do to make things better going forward. So thanks for being here. And thanks again to Texas Scorecard, our sponsor. Thank you for listening to the Liberty Cafe with Bill Peacock. This show is produced by Texas Scorecard. You can learn more about this show and find other shows at texasscorecard.com. Be sure you subscribe and rate the show on whatever platform you listen on. See you next time.